Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jera, and thanks for tuning in. With us today, we have fellow crew members Sue. Hi, everybody. And Andy. Hello. And before we get started into our main topic, I just wanted to take a second to remind you about the Women at Warp Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash women at warp and pledge a small monthly donation, you support our work in various ways. We use it to host our website and audio, to upgrade our equipment, to travel to conventions to report on them, and to print out promotional materials and things so that we can spread the word about the podcast to more people. So if you want to support our work and get ex- access to exclusive content in return, you can head over to patreon.com slash women at warp. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash women at warp. And uh, thanks so much for all of those who are already supporting us. We massively appreciate it. And speaking of going to conventions, by the time you get this episode, we will have just got back from Star Trek Las Vegas, which we presume will be amazing. Just want to say we... Just got back from Vegas, and I'm just guessing, but I'm pretty sure I got married. And (laughs) I'm not sure who it was to, but I'm very much in love now. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for all your well wishes on my new marriage. Yeah, um, we all got matching tattoos. Definitely. And at least two of us are sick from the con Yes, definitely. I feel like like this is going to be entirely accurate. I feel a little bit like Star Trek writers when they're trying to write about the future from the past, but I think we've nailed it. I think we've past tense nailed it. (laughs) All right. Well, upcoming, and actually upcoming, I will be at 50-Year Mission Cherry Hill. That is August 26th through 28th near Philadelphia in South Jersey. And then Labor Day weekend, September 1st through 5th, I'll be at DragonCon. And then in October, early October, I'll be at New York Comic Con. And Andy and Grace will be at GeekGirlCon in Seattle. We have panels at all of those events, at least one panel. So come find us, and we'd love to hang out with you. Just like we hung out with you in Las Vegas. Our meetup was intense, but it was great to meet all of you. It was awesome. <laughs> Yay. So, on to our main topic. Captain's Log. We've been drifting in podcast land now for more than a year. <laughs> Days seem to run into nights to the point that it's hard to even remember what episode this is. Some days I wonder whether this is all really worth it or whether I should go get promoted and become a podcast admiral. (laughs) (laughs) It's all you can do to just look at the faces of your crew and think that, you know, they're so awesome and you do really want to spend time with them talking about cats. I just want you to know, Jara, that you need to find out who you are as a podcaster, as yourself. (laughs) <laughs> and I really think it's time for you to find out who you, Jera, are inside. And let's get drunk. But my father was such a self-sacrificing <laughs> podcaster. I don't know <laughs> how I can separate these things. I feel old, Andy Bones. I, here's a glass of whiskey. Let's just get drunk and it'll all be clear. Oh, hey, how about Andy Bones? How about we go see that new Star Trek movie <laughs> instead? That'll be good, too. Especially drunk. This is my favorite thing that ever happened. (laughs) Thanks, Sue Puck. I'm just trying to justify why I'm drunk all the time. (laughs) 
All right, so if you have not guessed, we are talking about the newest Star Trek movie, Star Trek Beyond, and we have a warning before we go any further. We did give away some very minor tidbits about the opening scenes, but... Spoilers! Shields up! Spoilers ahead! Spoilers ahead! If you haven't watched it already, turn off your podcast machines, run and hide! At your local movie theater and watch the movie and then come back. You can't say we didn't warn you. So, Star Trek Beyond, the newest Star Trek film. Andy, do you want to take a stab at a a super brief overview in case anyone's forgotten it in the last couple weeks? Kirk's feeling sad and and a little bit of ennui. Not sure quite what his direction is. So, they're in the middle of their mission and they go to this place called the Yorktown, which looks pretty awesome, by the way. And they get lured into a mysterious nebula where they get captured and the Enterprise gets destroyed by this dude named Crawl, who seems like he's got a lot of anger. They eventually work together and defeat Crawl and save the Yorktown. And along the way, we meet a lot of cool characters and our crew gets to be awesome. How, how is that summary? Was that, was that an okay summary? Yep, I'd say that pretty much covers it. Oh, and also Scotty has really good upper body strength, apparently. <laughs> He's been doing his pull-ups. I'm impressed. So if folks haven't heard it, we did an episode on the previous JJ-verse movies, or Kelvin universe movies, as we're calling them now, I guess a couple months ago, and we talked about Star Trek 2009 and Star Trek Into Darkness. This movie was definitely my favorite of the three. I remember in our episode, we said how we felt like uh, that... The previous movies were fun, but they weren't really Star Trek. And certainly I think this was the Star Trekiest of the three for a couple reasons. But one of the most important, I think, being that there's an actual message of peace, unity, and the uh, optimism in the ability to triumph over a seemingly impossible odds. And I really appreciated that about it, as well as the ensemble feel of the movie. I agree completely. I think it's a really fun movie, but it also has the backbone of a strong, very Star Trek theme. And I think they did a lot better at balancing the character moments and giving everybody more to do in general. Um, I really enjoyed the new characters. I thought the villain was pretty good. I liked the plot. I thought it was paced well. Overall, I really, really liked this movie. Yeah, I enjoyed this a lot. One of the first things I was thinking when I was leaving the theater was, wow, that was funny. And Star Trek funny, the way that TOS is funny. And you could tell that the people behind it were people who really love this property. And I feel like that was lacking in the first two. Not that the people behind the first two hated it, but you can you can tell when somebody really loves Star Trek and they get things. But also, I feel like a lot of the fan criticisms of the first two films were heard, uh, passed on to who they needed to be passed on to, and corrected. You know, we've got rank stripes on the women's uniforms. We had uh, scenes where the background crew was actually diverse in both gender and race and alienness. There was even some body diversity, which is really rare in Star Trek. So I I was really rather pleased with this film. One thing that I think came through is 
And this is something that I've been noticing with just the way that Simon Pegg talks about Star Trek. He is not just a writer of Star Trek. He's a fan of Star Trek. He is one of us. You know what I mean? So I feel like he heard us, if that makes sense. And he internalized that criticism and he didn't take it personally. He just took it as, these are ways I can make these movies better. And I think he did. And that makes me really happy. And he says that he wants to write more Star Trek, and I say let him. Yeah, we also heard that it was actually Carl Urban who raised the issue of the rank stripes because it had been brought up to him at convention. He's another person who's a a real fan, uh, has been a fan for a long time of Star Trek. And um, apparently he heard the question at conventions and actually brought that up and asked that it be changed. So if that's true, then that's amazing. You know, we've talked a little bit about in the past about how sometimes we we get criticism about being too negative and that, you know, the critiquing things is, you know, I don't know, not respectful maybe. But this is exactly why we do. Because every once in a while you get creators that listen and that's a really nice feeling to feel like some of the things that re- I mean, I'm not saying that Simon Pegg sat down and listened to our Women at Warp, JJ podcast and was like yep okay taking notes I'm not saying that but I'm saying that you can't be overly burdened with fan criticism but you can't ignore it either yeah and I feel like I feel like they did a good job of in like listening and then improving their product yeah I also feel like I don't know I walked out of there being like expecting more of other movies too in a good way like look it wasn't that hard to make your cast more diverse and to give diverse members of the cast more cool things to do yeah so i mean one example of that is we have talked in the past episodes about uhura's role in the kelvin movies um and i'm wondering what you both thought of her role in this movie and how that compared to the previous ones so she definitely gets more to do in this movie than in the previous ones and it is not all about spock in fact spock is the one sort of pining for her in this film, oftentimes. That being said, she's still not a focus character, but we don't really expect her to be a focus character, even though she's one of the main crew members. So she's got a lot more to do. She's got a lot more, I think, interesting things to do. Uh, she kicks some ass. She saves Kirk, but she's still not, you know, one of the main story arcs. She doesn't get her own story arc, unfortunately. And that goes to to the guest character, to the the guest star, really. I do really love that we get to see all of the best traits of Uhura kind of highlighted. So not just her like technical strengths, so like her ability to listen to signals and her ability at communications, like her actual job, but also her personality, her empathy, and her love for the crew and her loyalty. And I thought all of that really shined through in this movie. And it was really quite a joy to see this happen because I love Uhura. I've always loved Uhura. I think that this was a good showcase of Uhura. She's still a supporting character, but she's a supporting character, you know? Uh, she's a, a member of the crew, but she's a supporting member of the crew. And I think that they did a good job of keeping her on par with the other supporting members of the crew like Sulu and Chekhov. Yeah, I would say that there are a couple excellent Uhura moments in here that have 
exceeded the other Uhura moments in the Kelvin verse. And even in the in the original series movies, there's like the Mr. Universe scene that's pretty cool, uh, pretty fun for Uhura. But these were really, truly standout scenes. The one where she saves Kirk by sort of sacrificing herself, ending up in the part of the ship isolated with the main villain, Crawl, and then um, the scene near the end where they're still really not sure who this Crawl guy is and what he's after uh, other than revenge. Uhura is the one who finds a tape and like by hearing his voice and sort of recognizing his face, even though it's going by so fast, she re- she puts it on repeat and I certainly didn't pick it up looking at her looking at it, but realizes that Krull actually was this Starfleet captain, Balthazar Edison, was it? That's a pretty badass name. Yeah. And um, he was basically I- involved in Mako and all of these wars in sort of like the Enterprise era of Star Trek. And when Star Trek or sorry, when the Federation made peace with its enemies, he kind of had nothing to do. And he was isolated on this world. Most of his crew died and kind of went a bit off the rails and ended up becoming obsessed with revenge on the Federation. So it's her that really unhooks that key plot point twist at the end of the movie. So I I loved seeing Uhura have that kind of pivotal role in the plot even though she doesn't have her own arc absolutely well said jara i think it's also important to note that she's you know she she's held captive by crawl but in no way is it a damsel in distress scenario she's doesn't come across as needing rescue in fact that spot comes to rescue her and she's already kind of rescued herself she teams up with sulu she's doing stuff behind the scenes she's always perceived she's perceived by crawl to be sort of the person in charge of that group and she's always just got her head on her shoulders and doing like the best course of action in that type of bad situation yes and i think it's it says a lot that even though sulu and uhura are kind of captured they're still moving the plot forward they're still untangling questions for us and adding to the story it's not superfluous you know they're not just hanging out you know wailing and and waiting for the rest of the crew to rescue them they're working the situation from their end if that makes sense and you know the damsel in distress trope is a classic one this is not it at least not to be it's possible for you to put a female character in a position where they are in danger or captured without making them a damsel and in this case i think they did it not only that but while they're working the problem from their end, really the de facto leaders of the, the group that Krall has captured are a woman of color and a gay man of color working together, which is wonderful. And it was really, really fun to see them be front and center. Like we, One of the, the main things I loved so much about this movie is we had whole scenes, long periods of time, where Kirk and Spock are not on screen. You know, and I love Kirk and Spock, and I still think that any good TOS-type movie should be heavily influenced by the Kirk-Spock relationship. I think it's often the heart of the best things about TOS. But it is amazing to be able to just see the rest of the crew have whole scenes in which they shine just by themselves, and that's so lovely. Yeah, agreed. What did you think about the Uhura-Spock relationship in this movie? I like it. I've always liked 
the relationship. Like, I, I get why they're drawn to each other. I think they have good chemistry. I like them in general. It's always just been annoying to me that they kind of just used Uhura as like a plot device to humanize Spock, or at least that's how it always felt. And in this case, because they're not necessarily together the whole time and because there's more going on plot wise, I felt like it was more an added emotional resonance rather than just the focus of Uhura's story. You know what I mean? It definitely was not the focus of Uhura's story. I agree. However, it seemed to me that its only purpose was so that Uhura would have that necklace slash tracking device, <laughs> right? The rest of it, the rest of the actual story part of it could pretty much be lifted out. Like, it didn't matter in the story whether they were broken up or not broken up. That that whole question, or angst, if it was supposed to be angst, was not necessary. It might not have been necessary to the plot, but I do think it was helpful in establishing why Spock was feeling torn about Starfleet. Yeah, which fits in with the Leonard Nimoy tribute, which was lovely and unexpected uh, for me. But I again felt that that was a little odd, maybe a little bit forced in there. I didn't believe maybe Spock's turmoil the way it was written I understand you know wanting to to help his community and his people rebuild but just the way it was put in the story felt awkward to me I agree I I feel like they needed to have a tribute with Leonard to Leonard Nimoy and I felt like it was touching the way it was done particularly the end um, how it tied into the message of unity and cooperation and the importance of teamwork, where Zachary Quinto Spock opens sort of the box of Spock's belongings and finds the photo of the TOS crew. That was a really beautiful moment. I really love that. But I agree, I didn't totally buy his turmoil. It didn't really feel like it was super, super necessary, but I didn't mind it. It just, I didn't feel it was the strongest movie for Spock as a character, but I am kind of okay with that because it was so strong for everyone. Why don't we talk a little bit about Jayla, who uh, we were talking about before as the guest star, who maybe did get to do some of the stuff that Uhura didn't get to do, although I don't think they were really directly in competition uh, for screen time. Um, we did talk uh, a bit before this recording, and we couldn't think of a time that the episode passed the Bechdel-Wallace test possibly between Uhura and the woman who had the weapon hidden in the back of her head, but I'd have to look at an actual transcript because I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure that Uhura actually spoke to her and she replied or whether the woman replied to Sulu or to Kral. Um, But that's maybe the closest time. But there were so many more women characters in this with better things to do than Into Darkness and 2009 that I was, I thought it was an example of the time when the test isn't necessarily the best measure. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to keep an eye out, out for it because I knew that we would talk about it. And I kept getting distracted by enjoying the movie, which is a good thing. Afterwards, I couldn't think of a specific time. But I also think that, you know, we had enough strong women characters specifically Jayla, who I believe is a perfect example of a pass of the Makomori test in which you have a a female character that has an individual arc that's not reliant on a man. 
I think she passes that very well. Um, and then we had the Commodore, who was basically the Starfleet authority in this movie, and she was amazing. And then we had the Ensign, that was that really cool female alien Ensign. And then we had, you know, a bit of a, a minor villain, a female villain. So there was there was just a lot more. To, to work with, which is what really we're looking for with the Bechdel-Wallace test is part of it is just to make sure that the stories aren't dependent on men, but also it's just about having more female characters and giving them more chances to interact. It's also a reminder that the Bechdel-Wallace test is not a perfect test, and it is not necessarily meant for an individual piece of art but is most valuable when used as a metric over a large scale. It averages out to give you a pretty good idea, a pretty good picture of where media stands. Because there are many great pieces of work that don't pass, and some that we would consider much less feminist that do. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree. So Jayla is a character who is an alien from the planet that they're on. Her whole family was captured by Krall. And basically he, it's not really super clear how, but he like feeds off the energy of other people in order to stay young. So her whole family ended up dying. She escaped and all she wants is to leave the planet. And she's discovered a crashed old starship, the USS Franklin, that ends up being Balthazar Edison's starship. Um, but she's basically repaired this almost entirely by herself when she runs into Scotty. What did you guys think of Jayla as a character? I really loved her. I really liked her because I think she was a good mix of she was a character who could fight, but she wasn't just your stereotypical, like, oh, we need a strong female character, so she better be able to throw a punch kind of character. She had strong motivations, which I liked. And I thought she was funny. I thought she worked well. Her personality worked well, especially with Scotty. They spend most of the time um, with Scotty and Jayla together, and I thought they were great. I, I just, I really liked her. I thought she fit in really well with the crew without overshadowing them. And her story made sense to me and tracked throughout. So overall, I was very happy with her, and I think she's definitely the strongest female character we've had for the Kelvin timeline for a non-mean character. I mean, by far. I mean, you have Carol Marcus. Is there another one that I'm missing? Um, a Gala? Who are as roommate? <laughs> wow. <we're> really <laughs> rich in there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think she's the strongest female character we've gotten from these movies. Um, so, and a big step forward in general. I like that she fights, but I like that she does it smartly. She doesn't mm. just go in guns blazing. She has a plan and uses her knowledge and her engineering know-how to to give herself better odds. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that she also... Kirk does have to sort of come to her aid, but it it also doesn't feel like a, a damsel in distress situation at all. She's definitely fighting with all she's got, but like you said, she's doing so smartly, and um, you get the sense that she, she like she's giving this guy a good run for his money in this fight, and she's super brave. And the 
basically like all she wants to do is to leave this planet where all this awful thing all these awful things has happened and when she finally gets to just the look on her face is really touching and it is nice to see at the end you know even though we're not left on the impression she's going to be a recurring main crew member she does get basically um accepted into starfleet academy so it leaves the door open for her returning in different ways in other movies or novels or comics the look on her face that you're referencing i remember so clearly from the trailer because it actually made me tear up a little bit in the trailer and i didn't even know why i just knew that it was she looks she looks beautiful and she looks sad but she looks happy like there's just so much emotion there so, like, even just watching the trailer, that was a moment that really stood out to me. And then when I saw the movie and I understood the context of that moment, I absolutely teared up. And it, I thought it was a really triumphant moment for her. Absolutely. So, we briefly mentioned uh, Commodore Paris, I believe. Uh, do we have any comments on her? I liked her. I thought she was a good kind of authority figure slash mentor. She didn't get a whole lot to do, but what she did do was significant. We got to see her interact with Kirk before he's made his decision. Because the the thrust of this movie is Kirk is feeling like maybe he is not doing the right thing. Maybe he's not in the right place. Maybe his place in Starfleet isn't what he really wants to do. And we see her giving him a bit of sympathy at the beginning and, and letting him know that, you know, he's valued and, you know, he's applying for a admiral position on the, the Yorktown. And, and then we get to see her follow that up and have him gotten to the point where he knows what he wants now. He wants to be the captain of the Enterprise. This is a choice that he's making and he feels much stronger about it and he feels much more comfortable with his choice now. And it's nice to see kind of the authority figure be a woman and I really liked her. I thought she was great. And obviously having a, an actor of Shori Agadashlu's caliber was extremely nice to see. I thought it was nice. Um, she's a woman of color, also not a super young woman. And she has a lot of presence and fills a role that was for Kirk, I guess kind of similar to Pike in the last couple of movies, not as much, she's not as much of a parental figure, but certainly she's an authority figure and it was, it was good to see her in that part. And I feel like naming her Commodore Paris, I, I feel like they had so many names that it can't have been a coincidence that there was an, an intention to tie her to the Paris family legacy that we see referenced in Voyager. I think that that also just kind of it's a clue to like the the regular listeners like this is an important character so i thought that was cool there were a lot of sort of easter eggs references for pre-kelvin era fans in a way that i don't think would alienate any new viewers and i thought that that was really excellently done it showed like you didn't really have to make that choice because i think people were would say and i mean i would be among them for the other movies like well they're fun and i'm glad if they bring new people into star trek but you can also bring new people into star trek without losing like the heart and the the philosophies behind star trek yeah and those references in the first two movies you saw coming from 10 miles away you know it was like set it up here it is here's the thing you're waiting for you know and here they were natural and organic and you know we probably missed a bunch of them. So I, I think when it's done that way where you could not notice them 
and still have everything make sense or not be distracted or taken out of the story by them, that's when they're done well. Absolutely. And it felt like more of just, you know, small tips of the hat, you know, like a a subtle homage rather than a beat you over the head. See Star Trek fans, Star Trek, Star Trek, you know, it felt much more like these people really knew and loved Star Trek when they were writing these rather than just trying to kind of shoehorn them in. Mm -hmm. Because for me, the worst thing of any of these movies has been the rerun of the Wrath of Khan Spock death with Kirk. I had just seen Wrath of Khan, cried my eyes out, and that, that moment still remains the most wrecked I've ever gotten emotionally from Star Trek. And then when they redid it, it felt like it lacked all of the heart of the original and that it was just kind of like a cheap ploy. That's how it felt. Maybe mm-hmm. that's not how I meant it. Maybe that's not what they were going for. But however, for whatever reason, in execution, for me, it just did not work. And in this movie, I feel like it worked a lot better because they were still telling their own story, but they were doing it in a way that reminded us that it's a part of the larger Trek universe. And I thought it was really well done. So obviously a big news story going into the the first few days before this movie came out is the fact that they wrote Sulu as a gay character or possibly a bi character, but they Simon Pegg and others, I think, described him as gay. And George Takei wasn't necessarily too cool with that. How did you feel like it played out in the movie itself? I liked it. I liked that it was kind of a no big deal moment, but it also was a moment where you get to see a happy man with his family. And I thought it it, it also added to the movie itself because it added a lot of stakes for the Yorktown. Like you get a couple of moments where you see Sulu and he's holding it together and he's being professional, but you can feel his worry. Because his husband and his child is on that station, and if they don't save them, he's going to lose his family. And that just adds to the stakes a lot. It's not made a huge deal of, but it's also not irrelevant. So I thought it was really well done. I'm super bummed that George Takei is not on board. That makes me really sad. It's like a sour note in what I consider a really great move for Shrek. First of all, that obviously we've needed a, a gay character for a long time. I thought it was a great move to have it be a main iconic character, not a new character that you could just kind of dismiss as the gay one. I just thought it was executed so nicely that I'm just, I'm sad. It just, there's no other way to say it. I'm sad that he's not on board. I'm sad that he wasn't excited. I think that... You know, he had some points, but I appreciated Simon Pegg's point that if you made it a new character, like just say you brought in Jayla and made it clear that Jayla was queer, then it would have been like, oh, you brought in the gay character. No matter how great that character was in all other respects, it would have been like you checked off a box and they would ignore other stuff about the character. And this is the way that they made sure that wasn't possible because we already have opinions and feelings about Sulu. And I thought it was awesome to get to see that it it wasn't made a huge deal of. We got to see his family. It wasn't like, hey, did you hear that Sulu has a husband? Like a big rainbow banner, rainbow yeah. banner <laughs> raining from the sky. I can just yeah. picture it. But it was still really important, the timing in the movie, because it happens so early on, and then you still get to see him doing 
amazingly kick-ass stuff. You get to see that Kirk has seen him with his family and actually is, like, happy about it. Kirk, like, watches them walk away and kind of smiles. And then Kirk is asking him to do all of this really important, dangerous stuff, and Sulu is kicking butt at it. So I thought that it it was not made out to to be, like, a key plot point, but it was important. I also really love that they when they took this major step, they did it with a man of color. Because, unfortunately, when it comes to hate crimes against the queer community, the queer people of color are just massively overrepresented in those numbers. Like, the the amount of hate crimes that are perpetrated against them is just stunning. And they need more representation. Even, like, it's something that needs to be addressed. And it really meant a lot to me that when they finally took this step that was long overdue, they did it with a person of color. That was important to me. So this is from an article in Entertainment Weekly uh, that says, echoing his earlier comments the Hollywood to The Hollywood Reporter, he wrote, I hoped instead that Gene Roddenberry's original characters and their backgrounds would be respected. How exciting it would be instead if a new hero might be created whose story could be fleshed out from the scratch rather than be reinvented. To me, this would have been more impactful. And then, despite his feelings about the importance of respecting Gene Ronberry's vision, Takei said he is nonetheless delighted there's now a gay Star Trek character and flattered that the Sulu decision was intended as an homage to him. Well, that makes me feel better. Yeah, so it's definitely less angry than was originally being reported which makes me happy yeah the thing is though is i don't i don't think it's an either or yeah i agree this is the thing that that i i'm just like i get that it's a big deal because it's the first well the first major i should say but there's nothing that's going to stop them from bringing on new gay characters so i don't know i don't understand why it can't be a mix of both i get his point i really do i just don't agree with it i guess yeah i agree but overall, I I think it worked out well in the film, and I thought that John Cho did a great job as Sulu. I think everyone really did a great job in their main character roles in this film generally, and it was just great to see. The two things I loved most about this movie, one was the theme. The theme was definitely about how we're stronger together than we are apart. And I feel like that's a really important thing to think about in this day and age, to think about the fact that differences make us stronger and that sticking together and caring about each other is important. And I just feel like it's an, an important message and a lovely one and a super, super Star Trek one. And it was really nice to see that actually played out by so many ensemble moments. I mean, I love that the climactic, like, lead up to the final battle is like they're putting together this plan on the fly and literally every single person is contributing and they're building this plan together as a team and I love it. It just made me so happy. Well, even the the scene that Jared mentioned before when, when Spock is finding Spock Prime's things and he opens the picture of the TOS crew. It's that feeling of they're supposed to be together. They're supposed to be a team. Yeah, it's it's lovely. So another thing that I don't think we've talked too much about, we talked a little bit about Crawl, but I wanted to talk about Crawl a little bit more because uh, one thing we talked about was, okay, so in the last movie, you cast a white British guy as a character that could 
and probably should have been a person of South Asian descent. And in this movie, you cast a black actor, Idris Elba, as the villain. And my concern seeing the previews was that he was covered in so much blue prosthetic makeup and his voice sounded, you couldn't even tell it was Idris Elba, that I was concerned it was going to be wasted similarly to Oscar Isaac in the most recent X-Men movie. But I actually was pleasantly surprised because of that twist at the end. We do get to see Idris Elba looking a bit more like Idris Elba and having more motivation. And I thought he was actually a more successful and believable villain than Khan in the last movie. Yeah, I just wish we had gotten some more of that backstory earlier in the film. Mm -hmm. Because we spent so much of it going, why is he doing this? Yeah, and he has that line that says, like, this is the frontier pushing back, which I actually thought was, like, in a colonialism kind of comment at first. And I was, I thought maybe his alien homeworld had been inadvertently destroyed by the Federation or something. And that line never really tied into his end mission. Yeah, yeah. But if there were even, maybe there were, I mean, we've only each only seen it once. Mm-hmm. But if, if there had been been hints or any kind of indication earlier... Maybe it was cut. Maybe it it was supposed to be there. I don't know. Um, I think that he would have seemed less one dimensional. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated though that at the end when we've had his backstory revealed, when he and Kirk are facing off, I really appreciated having Idris Elba in that role. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because Idris Elba is a top notch actor. And he really makes you feel a lot. So I was sitting there and I, like, I, f- I felt it at that moment, you know, like I understand, I felt his anger and his like sadness, like the, like all of this pain that's driven him to just want to burn it all down. And I don't think he would have gotten that with a lesser actor. I agree. I think it was, it ended up being really well done. I agree, though, Sue, like, I think he could have had more backstory, but I think that there was a a lot of pressure for them to do right by all the characters in this movie. And I think overall, they succeeded. And whereas Into Darkness, I think, failed a bit on the con motivation front as well as on the ensemble. So I'm kind of inclined to be like, well, this this one did better on both the villain motivation and giving ensemble time. And it didn't cut back on the action. It was still a really successful action movie. Uh, it just proved that that can be compatible with Star Trek sort of dynamics and values and vision. It's hard to get all of that into a two-hour film, Mm -hmm. especially because we do ask so much of Star Trek. Yeah, I thought the balance was really good, and I thought the pacing was really good, which to me, Into Darkness was one of the worst-paced movies ever, and uh, they really fixed that in this one. And I'm just... I'm just overall just so happy because I know that they're – okay, so the three of us really liked it. I have heard from other fans that the, generally the consensus that I've heard has been pretty good. I have heard from some that did not like the movie, and that's fine. But it was critically and commercially successful movie at this point. I think we can safely say that. And that makes me so happy because we're on the cusp of having a new – TV show and our franchise I feel like has just been 
revitalized by the the success of this movie. So even if you didn't like it, I feel like you have to be happy to be a Star Trek fan right now. Like we're getting so much new content and we have these creators that clearly care about our franchise and that just makes me so excited so excited to see what they're gonna come up with so excited to see new star trek stories so overall i'm just i'm super pumped i walked out of the theater and i was just smiling ear to ear just so happy we're getting close to time so maybe we should just go around and do some final thoughts so maybe i will start with sue and anything that you wanted to add to this discussion Sue's Science Corner. (laughs) Right. Oh my. All right. (laughs) So first of all, not a physicist. I really enjoyed the refraction thing that Jayla hooked up. I totally buy it, you know, that in some future time she could create this kind of cloaking device for the Franklin and even use refraction to create duplicates of herself. I found it a little bit hard to suspend my disbelief when those duplicates started doing different things at the same time. Not sure about that one, but it was still pretty cool, so I'll give it that. That is the the main sciencey thing that I think took me out of it in in the theater. I thought the nebula was really cool. I thought the swarm idea was great and terrifying and in general I just I really really enjoyed this way more than I expected to to be honest I have not really been a fan of the the first two movies in this timeline and until like the first few months before the release of of Beyond I was not necessarily looking forward to it but then as we got more information I I was being positive and I I was pleasantly surprised and quite happy with it actually so I'm I'm a thumbs up overall I really liked this movie the only thing I would want to add is so there was a lot of dislike of the first trailer which I kind of got the dislike like I thought it was a fun trailer but it didn't it didn't really show some of the strengths that ended up being in this movie it looked very kind of generic space action movie to me however one of the things that they hated was the use of the song Sabotage, which was obviously f- used in the first movie for Kirk as a as a way to kind of set up Kirk as a character, as a young character moving into his arc, and then was used again in this movie in this huge action set piece. And I was sitting in the theater and I was thinking to myself, oh, there are some people who are going to absolutely hate this. Like, they're going to hate it. I was like, I don't care. I love this. I loved it so much. Like it was just one of those kind of fun, cheesy, cool moments that just like the music and oh, by the way, we haven't talked about how this movie looks, but it looks great. Like it looks beautiful. And I thought that that was just it was just such a cool scene to see the music and the plan and the visuals all come together in this kind of like big epic moment. So if in case you were wondering, I loved that moment and I just wanted to make sure to give it a shout out because I'm sure that there are some fans that are going to not so much love it. 
Yeah, I I really liked a lot of the way that the music and the visuals worked together in this movie. I would say that it definitely had a different look than the JJ movies. It, I mean, you know, people will probably joke there was less lens flare, but it also was just less bright and shiny. That was also partly due to the costume designer, um, Sanya Hayes, who also did the costumes for Insurrection. I overall really liked them beyond just that the uniforms looked a bit more similar to TOS, but the flight suits and other uh, non-main uniforms that they had kind of bridged between TOS and Enterprise in a way that I thought was cool and it looked great on screen. So there was a different look in the visuals as well as the aesthetics on uh, we also weren't on the ship for very long, but on the planet and uh, in terms of the costumes. And I thought it worked out really well. I, like Sue, was definitely a skeptic heading into the most, you know, the last couple months. I saw the first trailer. I read that, you know, that interview that was going around that apparently quoted Simon Pegg as saying, you know, he got hired to make the movie less Star Trek-y. And I was definitely ready to not be a fan of this movie. I saw Justin Lin was directing and I didn't really know that he had a background in directing films other than action movies. And I was kind of like down on the potential for action movies. And I have been proven wrong and I am very happy about that. So... Yeah, I'm I'm glad to be challenged to keep an open mind until I see the final product. And that uh, over the past couple months started to get a lot more excited about things. And uh, I was I was not disappointed. I thought it succeeded on a number of fronts and I would happily go see it again a couple of times at least. <laughs> I think that this is something to keep in mind as we get more and more news out of the Star Trek Discovery because I understand like they, they parcel out this news and you take it piece at a time and you kind of are trying to predict. Give it a chance. Always give it a chance. I mean if you see it and you don't like it fine. I, I mean, n nobody on this show is going to be mad at people for doing constructive criticism because that's kind of our jam. But, I mean, there's no no reason that like I've been noticing so much just kind of generalized negativity that I just don't understand. Like, content creation is hard and giving creators the benefit of the doubt until you've seen the final, final product is a good idea. And in this case, I was also like, I was, it wasn't so much the stuff that was coming out about the movie that was making me nervous. It was more that I disliked into darkness pretty intensely. So, I mean, it's pretty hard to come out of a movie that you thought was very bad and then get excited for the next movie. You know, to me, that was my biggest stumbling block. Like, I'm just really glad that they were successful. That makes me very happy and very excited moving forward. Absolutely. I think you're right, Andy. The franchise is in a really great place right now. So that's very exciting. So we're going to wrap up our discussion here. But wanted to let you know that earlier on today, we had a discussion with our Patreon patrons about Star Trek Beyond and what they thought. Um, I think we had three or four people who had already seen it and one person who was dead set against seeing it, but actually after listening to the discussion changed her mind. So that's kind of cool. And we're just going to play you a couple highlights from that discussion. If you want to be involved in future discussions like this or have access to other exclusive content from us, you can hop over to patreon.com slash women at warp. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash women at warp. Other thoughts on costumes? Yeah, both. The bow shoulders, I wasn't sure about them either, but as you're watching the movie, it's thankful 
it's so strong. They don't, they don't take away from what you're watching. You're, you're aware of them, but as you're watching Kirk and Chekhov, you're, you're still drawn to the story. So I was worried about that, but they, they made it work. And then the, the uniforms aboard the ship were really good. Uh, I was really glad they upgraded those. Mm-hmm. I liked Jayla's look. Like she yeah. looked, it looked functional. You know what I mean? Like it looked like the kind of outfit you would wear to live in the middle of nowhere and be always be on the defensive. It looked comfortable and, and functional and like you could kick ass in it. But, you know, she also looked cute, you know? So I, I liked it. I, I thought they did a good job. Is like, we went from Carol Marcus and her bra to Jayla. <laughs> oh my gosh. The in, in, in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Sula's gay. How did people <laughs> uh, portrayed? I thought they did a good job and I'll tell you why. It, it wasn't, it, it just seemed like they made it just like a normal because I had the audio descriptive version of it, kind of visually impaired. It seemed like they just it said just in the scriptural it was his husband, and that was it. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. Federation just didn't make a big deal of it. They humanized it in a way that was far better than any other thing I've seen. If that makes any sense. I said before everybody was on the call that my head canon is that he's by because. That doesn't force prime timeline Sulu into the closet, and it also doesn't uh, suggest that it's a, a choice that in mm-hmm. this timeline he chose it, and that yeah. just the timeline of who he met and fell in love with. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. what I choose to believe because there was a yeah, there was a whole bunch of people who were like, "No, he was straight." Like changing universes doesn't make someone gay, and I'm like, I haven't seen it yet, so I can't tell you. <laughs> But that was what Tukai was upset about, was that it yeah. forces this character he played, sorry, there's a cat, into the office. <laughs> and now, I was just like, guys, bisexuality is a thing. Mm-hmm. He could be yeah. with a woman or attracted to women in the original series. Because I, I think really, and that, that's the other thing, is we don't really get very much indications to see the sexuality in the original series anyway. No, we, get a no, we don't, of, actually. Yeah, we get a little bit of him hitting on Uhura and Mirror Mirror, but... Which is yet another alternate universe. Yes, and we also get him, like, walking behind the super buff Klingon babe and, like, Mm. giving a wink-wink to Chekhov. But that just indicates he might be attracted to women. That doesn't mean he can't end up with a man. And as a bisexual person, it's kind of like, come on, guys. I also was impressed that they, like, destroyed the Enterprise right at the beginning in kind of, like, a pretty cool way, honestly. (laughs) Like, that weapon was scary. Yeah. And that like it gave the whole reason for why people got split up into the groups that they did. Yeah. I'm just so tired of the ship being destroyed. <laughs> yeah, but this one made it through two and a half movies. <laughs> <laughs> as I was watching, I was worrying about the ship being destroyed again and so early in the film. But as as you're watching, I'm okay, I was grateful that they made it work, that it served the story. I'm like, okay, the Enterprise has been destroyed again. But it worked. Yeah, and the or in the part where you see that it being rebuilt, that was a mo- moment that we've kind of seen in the classic movies before, where they like look at the new Enterprise, and I thought that was nice. Yeah, the the bees, I guess I'm not going to remember the name of the thing it reminded me of, but it was in Stargate Atlantis. Mm-hmm. I think Atlantis. It might have been oh. where it, it had all the like the tiny little things that together would swarm and destroy a piece of technology. And that's what I what I thought of. I mean, there, how how much sci-fi is is truly original? Probably none of it. But yeah, that, Frankenstein, the replicators. 
<laughs> the swarm was really kind of terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was actually. Yes, the replicators. Mm. It was actually, in my <laughs> worse than the Borg in some ways. It, it, it reminded me of the Borg in some ways because they had to be linked. Mm. And some of their technologies like the Borg. But in a way, it, it was worse because it was almost like it was a lower level intelligence. Yes, they were intelligent, but I don't think it was as, as sophisticated as the Borg. And I think it almost made them more terrifying in a way, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Definitely more visually terrifying to see them just swarming and just completely destroying the ship. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, a couple of things. So, one thing I did like, and I don't remember this from the last two movies, but it's been a while since I watched them, so I may be wrong, but I liked how the Universal Translator, you could hear the original underneath the uh-huh. translation. It sounded like really cool simultaneous translation. And one thing I didn't like was the font for the subtitles. <laughs> I was like, that is so cheesy. The like scrolling sort of sci-fi silver letters. And I was like, just go with something simple. <laughs> so did you guys see it in 3D? Yes. No. I, they, they put a 3D effect on the subtitles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like they were also moving. Yes. And it was I, really, really distracting. <laughs> I think that they, like, they sort of scrolled across. Like, they, they like, floated. They floated out. Yeah. Um, so it maybe it was partly that it was in 3D that made it distracting. I feel like the subtitles should never be distracting. Maybe if you didn't see it in 3D, it might have been better. The only one that made me think it was there for the 3D was Scotty mm-hmm. on the Cliff. Oh, yes. Which I also thought was totally unnecessary. And yes. then, like... Because Scotty is not an action hero. <laughs> no, exactly. Like, the idea that he could have pulled himself up from that, I'm like, sorry. you, you. Yeah, no. <laughs> Alternate timeline, Scotty does CrossFit. <laughs> I was going to say, I was really grateful, like I keep saying, that this story, the overall story, you get to the end and you realize, okay, they're telling a story about humanity. This is not just some random evil villain you know, who wants this, another villain who wants to destroy the Federation for mm-hmm. her. You know, it ties back to humanity, to our experience, how humanity needs to grow and evolve. And you get to the end and you see that was the message. You, mm-hmm. know, you know, didn't get the message of humanity. He's resentful and bitter and over the, all the hundreds of years that he's forgotten the message, you know, of humanity needs to grow and evolve. So I was really grateful and really impressed by that. It tried back to Star Trek. This was a Star Trek movie for me, so I was really grateful. Mm-hmm. Really impressed by that. Um, I would like to say what's my favorite from the Kelvin timeline. Mm-hmm. And although I thought that, uh, what's her name? The girl with the white hair. Jayla. Jayla felt a little bit to me like Ray. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and that I didn't like too much, but okay, it worked. But I really like that Uhura got to kick some ass. And I thought that to me was super cool when she goes in and punches the alien and goes in and I overall I, I really liked it um again my favorite from the Kelvin timeline mm-hmm. yeah. well I haven't seen it because I was so supremely disappointed by the first two that I didn't want to give them my money a third time but I feel like now I'm thoroughly convinced that <laughs> <laughs> they can have my 12 dollars or whatever captain's log Our discussion of Star Trek Beyond is almost at an end, or is it a beginning? 
No, it's actually the end. But before we go, <laughs> Andy, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? Easiest place to find me is on Twitter at First Time Trek, where I live tweet through my first time through Star Trek. I just started Voyager today. Woo! Woo! So, um, yeah, that's the easiest place to check me out. And how about you, Sue? You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor, that's S-P-A-L-T-O-R, or over at AnomalyPodcast.com. And I'm Jara, and you can find me on Tumblr at trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com or on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. And you can also contact us as a show by going to our website, womenatwarp.com, or emailing crew at womenatwarp.com. Or you can comment on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash womenatwarp, or on Twitter at womenatwarp. And you can also leave us a review on iTunes, which is awesome because it gives us feedback, but also helps more people find our show. So those are all the ways that you can get in touch with us. And thank you so much for joining us this to talk about Star Trek Beyond. I hit a wall. I never felt so low, so low, like a waterfall, my tears dropped to the floor, the floor, they left a swimming pool, a salted cry.